Are you looking to expand your mind? Do you like to challenge and be challenged? Looking to improve yourself and share your experiences professionally and personally? You're in the right place. Welcome to ScoutCast, Roasting Marshmallows, with your host, Rolf Surd. We are live. Welcome to another episode of ScoutCast. My name is Rolf Suit, and I'll be your host. So for the longest time, more cost-effective labor in other countries have always attracted companies to try and manufacture their products for a more economic way of doing things. And for software development, this is no different. Hiring teams in, for example, the Far East to build your product is happening to this very day. And, uh, you know, developing software might look like uh, producing a product, but it's, uh, it's very different. It's not like you're going to mass-produce a toy when you... Uh, outsource your project to it, Far East or any other company uh, that's going to develop it. So, uh, yeah, especially among developers, there was and still is some resistance with hiring outside help. Uh, and due to corona nowadays, everyone is working remotely. So it doesn't even matter if, uh, if your team is situated in a different country or in a different city altogether. And this is what we are going to be talking about on this episode. Uh, onshoring, nearshoring, offshoring. Are you unsure which one is right for you? And we are roasting these marshmallows with Arjen Kolkman, CTO of Confect Beheer. And they are uh, actually outsourcing their development at this very moment. So, uh, Arjan, welcome to the show. Uh, I'll uh, introduce you to the, uh, to the listener right now. And uh, after that, uh, yeah, we can have this discussion. So, Arjen, uh, you know, you started your career in digital TV broadcasting industry in 1995 after obtaining his Master in Science in Computation from the University of Manchester. And uh, during his career, he worked as a team lead slash software development manager, and he was CTO for companies in the broadcasting and medical industry. He started two companies, one in the broadcasting space and one in the medical space, of which one he has sold and the other one still trades. Uh, having lived in several countries, South Africa, the UK, Belgium, and worked on every continent except Antarctica, he eventually settled in the town where he went to high school. Currently working at Convect and Appledorn as the CTO, which is the very first Dutch company he has worked for. He's married and is the father of two kids who distill his career down to he does something with computers. That sounds uh, relatable. <laughs> uh -huh. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, uh, he has used uh, uh, outsourcing, nearshoring, farshoring for both software and hardware projects. So interesting. So uh, welcome, Ayam. It's a long introduction, but uh, glad to have you on the show. Thank you very much and glad to be here. And uh, I'm also joined by uh, some of the regulars here on the show. Sylvester, how are you doing? Very well. Thank you, Rolf. Have you uh, used outsourcing or have any experience with it? Hopefully you do, otherwise uh, you're not <laughs> going to be saying much. Well, I've worked on a number of projects where actually a team was outsourced. Okay. Um, and, well, I, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get into that. Uh, For sure. That way it didn't work. Uh, I've also went to India once to kind of like fix a project that didn't work. So I have some experience in field. Okay, yeah. well, nice. Well, uh, hopefully uh, you can share that today with, uh, with everyone. And uh, Panche, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you, Rolf. Yeah, going good. Um, I'm a bit, uh, yeah, my nose is a bit stuffed uh, right now, so uh, if, my, if I sound a bit weary right. because of that. I got tested, yeah. so I'm negative on COVID, so that's okay. positive. Thank God, man. Uh, yeah, yeah you uh, actually, uh, you've been on both both sides of the outsourcing world, right? Like you've, you've been like the outsourced party, but you've also hired them, right? Yeah, so uh, years ago, I... Um, uh, 
initiated in uh, a branch of a Dutch company in Macedonia, where I come from originally. And uh, we, uh, with the team, we grew that team to about like uh, 25 people, and we did quite a lot of nearshoring projects uh, from uh, that office in Macedonia that, uh, that we started. Uh, that was 2010. Um, so yeah, I've been on a lot on that side, and then also um, on the side uh, of companies who are actually requiring nearshoring uh, capacity. Yeah. So, so that's great, right? Goals. That we have both sides of the uh, of the dime so to say, in this episode, so we can definitely uh, view it from multiple angles. Uh, myself, I also have a little bit of uh, experience with, with outsourcing. Uh, I used to work for a company that had uh, multiple teams in the Philippines, actually, so that's like super far away. And uh, I went there for two weeks once as well to uh, smooth things out uh, with, with the project going there because, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, so far away that uh, the team needed some, some yeah, external or like internal help from us uh, on a more regular basis rather than just a couple of meetings in order to keep this stuff, uh, you know, going smooth. And uh, again, I was wondering, uh, do you have a similar experience where you have to travel across the globe in order to synchronize with these outsourced teams that, you, uh, that you've been utilizing uh, or, or how, uh, how was your uh, modus operandi? Yeah, a, a, a lot. Um, uh, in in yeah, a couple of, till a couple of years ago, not for the for the last couple of years, and definitely not in the in of course in the times of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but but previously, yeah, we we used outsourcing and and uh, far less nearshoring uh, uh, in two different ways. We we had our own teams in foreign countries, so you could say that is. Uh, in principle, not outsourcing, but uh, still, uh, yeah, far in the assuring. Yep. Um, but we were also using external companies in foreign countries uh, uh, to to develop parts of the product or, uh, uh, yeah, do part of a solution or help with fixing a particular problem. So, yeah, uh, in, in in principle, uh, my experience have, has been with mostly all kinds of different ways. It's, it's directly contracting people to, uh, in principle, uh, writing specifications for whole products that, that were developed by external parties to, in principle, the, the, what we are currently doing and what I've been doing in the last few jobs, mere, more team augmentation. So, so hiring a group of people to augment a core team uh, uh, to, to add more uh, yeah, development power in, 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 in such a team. Okay, and, and that's working well, or is it, uh, is it a challenge? Um, I, I, it is working very well, um, but um, I would say that that, that that comes with a certain uh, amount of experience and, and also a lot of preparation. Um, I think you can do these things if you, if you don't take them seriously uh, um, and underestimate them, things can go wrong pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you do your homework and, and, and you prepare these things, you, you, you treat people that you, that you pull in your team to augment it as, as the hiring of, of permanent staff yeah. um, uh, and you spend enough time on that, then, then uh, it can be really powerful. Well, so maybe, okay. maybe a question for me. I, I'm getting the impression, Arjen, that you, you've been doing this for a while. You said you have quite a lot of experience with different locations as well. How has... How has this form of nearshoring evolved throughout time, from your perspective? Um, I, I think uh, um, pre- I, I don't know how it, how it has evolved, but I can tell you how it has evolved in the projects that I've been uh, involved with, where um, 
I think with the 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 the, the older projects, say say call it ten years ago, that it was really uh, yeah a waterfall model uh, where you would write a, a, a long specification and and you would in principle give a task to a company and let that company run with it. So they would have their own project management. They would establish their own team and and they would in principle charge you a fee to to deliver a particular piece of technology. And I think that that's, that doesn't align with any of the agile methodologies that we have now, because then then for a part of the projects, you just run in a waterfall model. And at the end of the projects, if you, like I said, if you underestimate it, you, you are just presented with something uh, uh, that you may or may not uh, have meant that you, that you wanted that. Mm -hmm. and, and, but so, so what I've moved to, and, and like I said, that is really working f very well for the projects that I've been, uh, been working with, is is really uh, uh, keep the team agile, treat the developers as just permanent employees, uh, uh, involve them in the stand up, and do your project management from your from your own company. Yeah. So it's really adding people to the team, yeah. and and yeah, in these days of COVID, uh, uh, I mean, whether somebody is working in 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 Appledorn in in an office block uh, yeah. two streets away from you, or working in a foreign country. Uh, um, if the time zones are not too different, uh, there, there's actually no difference there. Yeah. But yeah, I agree you with that, that, right? Oh. As long as you're in, uh, in all remote, it's going to work pretty flawlessly, I think. But what do you think will happen once well offices open, if they actually open again? Um, I think a lot of this will stay the same. Uh, that's an um, what, what I've read and what I've talked to for an, for, a, for quite a number of uh, people from different companies is that they still would like to keep at least a, a, a part of the remote working. And some companies have said, like, we, we will keep working like this. I, I, I think a lot of people have been uh, positively surprised by by how smooth uh, uh, the process has been to move from from being in a in an office building to people working from home. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can say the projects that I've worked for, uh, the, the, the one at Convec now and the one before this was at, at Cradle in, in uh, Northern Ireland. Um, we can say that the impact has been very limited. And, and I think that's a very positive thing from being in this industry uh, um, that, that yeah, COVID in principle from a business point of view and from day-to-day from -day work has, has impacted us very little. So. Um, yeah, if you see what, what it does to other uh, branches uh, and, 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 and other industries, uh, yeah, we must be glad that we work in this industry. Yeah, we're oh, sort of really absolutely. The, the privileged uh, branch, the privileged uh, group yeah. of people, I think, professionals. And I, I agree a lot with you, what you said. For those who have been practicing this way of working in, also in the years before, uh, this was just like a really minor step of transitioning towards a fully remote uh, you already had all the processes in place. You already had all the tooling in place. It's just like moving the rest of the team in this modus operandi. So, yes, yeah, I am still wondering what's going to happen, right? Because people are going to move back to their offices, and uh, right now it's really easy, right? And I fully believe in nearshoring, outsourcing, whatever we're going to call it, as long as you make it one team. But I'm wondering, once people go back to the office, whether you uh, get that distance again. I think that's typical for most outsourcing projects, right? But the distance between people and the company, actually. So um, how aware of, are they of what the company is trying to do? How, how really part of the team they are? Yes, I, I, I think exactly like you say, that, that making the people part of your team and, and in principle, 
make them understand, yeah, if you want to call it like that, the mission of what you're trying to achieve and get their buy-in. Uh, that is as important with permanent employees as with uh, nearshoring or far-shoring staff. Uh, I mean, I think really from a, from, a, from a perspective of motivation, if people understand what they are working on, what the idea is and why they are doing it, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that, that, that makes a, a very big difference. Yeah, okay. I think, and how, uh, how do you go challenge? about that? Because, um, for example, you said something about treating everyone as a, as a team member, um, but still they are working for a different company. And um, is, it, is it difficult to select the right team members for your team? Like, do you even get to select individuals or do you get, you know, you just hire a company and they supply the people for you? Or how, how, how do you get the best uh, for your team? So, so what I did in my previous company, uh, um, I spent a lot of time talking to different different companies because you, you, you need to be clear what kind of skills that you need. You need to know your technical roadmap. Uh, you need to know the, the, the points where you need to improve. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so, for example, uh, uh, in, 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 in the current project, we, we, we knew that we were weak on DevOps. And, and therefore, for the, the, the first couple of months in that project, we, we have a full-time DevOps project, uh, person on board. Right. So, so you, uh, but, but we want to scale that down as soon as we have that under control. And then, uh, for example, we get a user interface designer on board to, mm-hmm. to improve uh, uh, the, the UX experience, for example, of the, of the product. And, and yeah. that, that's one of the advantages of nearshoring. But like I said, you shouldn't underestimate it. I mean, this flexibility... And the, the and the ease with which you can, in principle, establish a team, you, you should not uh, uh, make you not do your homework. And and so I spent a lot of time. Uh, um, we went through nine different uh, uh, companies at, at uh, in in the previous uh, uh, in my previous uh, job, mm-hmm. um, and uh, only once we had three, we started interviewing people. So we treated the the hiring of members uh, uh, really as as um, yeah, hiring permanent employees. So interviews uh, with different candidates, and then uh, in principle picking the ones that 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 we thought would fit the team best. Okay. Um, and then uh, that that uh, led then to a des- decision in which partner to uh, to choose, and and there we then established the team. Uh, my my rule was always like. Uh, because you can can make this outsourcing go crazy and say DevOps comes from this company and development comes from another. But I'm, I've, I've said I've made a rule for myself and, and that has worked like one core team. I, I want to have all the skills in-house. I'm going to use a nearshoring team to to augment the, the amount of uh, uh, yeah, uh, work that you can do. Yep. Um, but I want one external team, n- not more than uh, not more than that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I understand correctly, the way you've operated mostly is hire individuals or hire a team that becomes part of your team, essentially, but they are, in principle, employees of a, another company, correct? Uh, yes, yes. So so, so outsourcing and, and then, in principle, nearshoring. Yeah. Have you worked with, in, in cases where you've had your own establishment somewhere else? Um, yes. So, and well, oh, it's quite quite interesting. Then, so how do you how do you compare the the two experiences between the so 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 that you uh, where where you hire uh, a team or people who are working for another uh, company, but they're or they're working for your company or your uh, your branch of your office somewhere else. Yeah. 
so so yeah so, so i i think what your question is like like uh, really uh, have an, have a, a far or near shoring team that is part of your own company yeah so right. so establishing a, a remote team yeah. or uh, uh, in principle hiring in the team from an from a, a, a another company that that's what you're, yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. What like you're saying. in your in your experience uh, how has that worked like what, what what would be the differences that you see advantage or disadvantages in the two approaches yeah, so I, I've, I've had quite a number of teams that that I was responsible for that were, for example, in India, Canada, Australia. So um, in in that case, I would say it is more difficult if you establish your own team abroad. Uh, uh, it's it's more difficult than than near or far shoring because you, in principle, become responsible for quite a number of things that you now, in principle, make the the, the near shoring company responsible for. So finding offices, uh, organizing equipment, uh, uh, yeah, getting the people. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, it, it's the paperwork to get foreign people into other countries that that needs to be sorted. Um, uh, doing the interviewing and and uh, making sure that 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 you adhere to all the local regulations. So so I would say that that is a lot more difficult. Um, and and in the end, uh, for the end result, I, I I don't really know whether there's such a big difference. Whether whether the people in call it like you establish a team in India, whether you would hire a team in India from a via a third party, or whether you would establish your own team there. Uh, I think from a development perspective, if you find the right people, it doesn't really matter in which mode you run. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Unless you have somebody, let, let's say local to do that for you or you take over a, a company that you, uh, maybe you have a good good fit with yeah uh, i i i just feel that uh like i said i traveled a lot till till a couple of years ago because these teams were all over the world yeah. and and yeah then you have the responsibility at at least that i what, what i feel to at least be there uh, once or twice a year to speak to people locally and 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 show your face and and because uh, um, yeah, there were quite a number of these teams. Uh, um, yeah, that, that resulted in a lot of travel. With, I think, with nearshoring companies, uh, it's still useful to have a face-to-face -face meeting with people, but but you don't feel the pressure that it's actually your responsibility to do that. Uh, um, so it still has its benefits, but but it's not absolutely necessary. Comes an interesting, interesting well conundrum maybe. Um, we mentioned then, okay, the team needs to understand what your vision is, what your goal is, what you're, uh, what you're aspiring to achieve with the team. And as long when it's clear also to them, things go work. We totally agree with that. Um, can, can this not be a bit conflicting? Because when you're hiring people who are employed by a different organization, that organization might have different values and different goals. And in certain cases could be maybe conflicting also with your goals. So where would the loyalty of those hired people lie in? So eventually, I think the, 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 if, if that really was a choice, I mean, the salaries are paid by the, by the, 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 by the external company. And, and of course, you have contracts in place that you wouldn't be able to hire the people, even if you, if you desperately wanted to, to take them uh, as, as your own employees. So it, it's logical to assume that the loyalty lies with uh, um, with with uh, uh, the outsourcing company but i mean and and that's why i spent quite a bit of time to establish the relation with that outsourcing company 
you you need to in principle feel that this company wants to sees this as a long-term relationship yeah. uh, um, and uh, yeah if you get the feeling with the company right and they have the right people then you have a combination that that where that is not such an issue yeah. but yeah you are right the 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 it, it it feels but but that may just be a feeling that that if people work directly for you you have a more more security there but on the other hand if people tell you then like we're going to leave next month then then it's exactly the same thing because they find employment somewhere else well, so that's, that's I, I don't know but there, there for instance I, I could think of several cases where i've been on both sides of this so i can think of several cases where for instance um somebody is, is is working somebody is like in a nearshoring near location or, or far-shoring location they're working for a client and then uh they want to switch or change a project or they want to leave they want to leave because they're not their salary is, is uh um not high enough or they want some some things from the company from the local company but they're not getting it as a consequence of that the client which you are hiring that person is uh is well uh experiencing a, a sort of a loss or disturbance in the team and yes you have very very little influence on, the, on that when that happens do you have any influence on people making the decision if they're working directly for you or freelancers i don't think it matters right well it does matter of course it does matter because what a certain person is valuable to you when you are hiring them it doesn't mean that the company they work for originally that pays their salary, they are worth to that, to that company the same. Because they're, you're the one that is that 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 person is creating value for, and that value that they're creating for you might be exponentially higher than the value that they bring for the company that pays their salary. Of course, I think it's also higher than the the rate you're paying them, but. What I'm trying to say is you could make the same argument for any freelancer, right? Even if they're working on with, it, with you in your office, they could leave at any point. So no, that's not, that's not, no, because then you are exactly, you are negotiating directly with a freelancer. Uh, and in this case, when you have like, um, like a company, another uh, organization in between you and the person who is delivering the value for you, uh, then some things can get muddled. So I don't know. Maybe you have never had that, this experience, right? But like, I'm just thinking that I've seen this well, in, I, in my experience. I, so. I understand what you're saying, but but I I've not had that experience. Oh, but great. but I I I think that is then. I mean, should that happen, then then it would again be a discussion with the partner company, yeah. and and yeah, uh, you need to have good links to those people as well to say like we need to make a plan so that's that it is clear that uh, that you are willing to uh, to do something to keep that person on your team um so yeah it, but i understand what you're what you what you're saying i i don't have experience uh, with that myself but it may feel that that you have more control over people that that directly work for you i mean you can directly negotiate with them or make a plan if they have, uh, show intentions that they want to leave so so yeah yeah and so what i was wondering is that uh, you know you mentioned that you are outsourcing people to augment the current team uh, internal so how does that uh, how does that discussion go because i can imagine that there is some uh, 
you know, yeah, some uh, resistance to, uh, you know, outsourcing a part of the team at the internal team where they say like, oh, oh my God, now I have to work together with these guys that I don't know, you know, maybe that there is some other, maybe they feel threatened or, or whatever. So how, how do you convey a message like this to a team where you say like, hey, I'm going to gonna help you guys out with some outsourced individuals? Now, first of all, the strategy where I say I, I, I want to have a core team. And, and then augment that. So that means like we are not trying to replace the people that work at the company. Uh, uh, so from that side, uh, um, yeah, there was, the, I, I've never had the, 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 the issue that people would feel threatened. Right. The second thing is most of the time, there's another reason why you, why you do this. Uh, um, for example, in my previous company, we, we needed to hit certain targets. Uh, we were a startup. Uh, investors wanted to see that we in, for example, six months needed to reach a target. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they also wanted us, for example, to have a 12 month runway from the money point of view. Now, we didn't have money for 12 months to establish a team the size that could one deliver the work. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have the opportunity to hire people, give them permanent positions and then let them go again six months later, you don't want to do that to people. So in that case, the decision to go with a bigger team, but then uh, use nearshoring so that you don't have the problem if at the end of the six months you need to say, okay, we need to now uh, uh, part ways. Mm -hmm. That was the reason. And if you bring that to your, to your current team, like this is the reason why we use outsourcing, uh, um, then you can easily do it. In my current job, um, it is the flexibility that we need. Like, like, hey, we really need a DevOps engineer, but we don't need a full-time one. And eventually, we may even scale down to having somebody that is that is on call and maybe works for us only uh, one day a week. Right. Uh, we need to uh, have have help on the UX side, but we we're not going to uh, hire a full-time UX uh, UI engineer or designer into into our current team and and. So, so there is always a reason why you do this. And, and if you make that clear that one, that it's not an intention to replace your current team and two, the reasons why, why outsourcing actually makes sense, then, then I've not had, and I can honestly say that any issues in people uh, in buying into the strategy, but it's again, uh, uh, making sure that everybody's on the same page, understands the strategy, understands where you're going, uh, that, that makes things much easier. Yeah. Uh, when you and why why you're making certain decisions right so, yes yeah and and have the people involved in 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 the in the hiring because they need to work together we yeah. we use a lot of pair programming uh, working together uh, also with uh, uh, the people from the the nearshoring team so there needs to be a click between the people as well it it is not like throw some work over the fence and wait for it to be done this is really like working together uh, uh, like you would work with with any colleague uh, in the same office. Okay. I think we're actually all kind of agreeing on this approach you're describing, right? Make it one team, make people part of the vision and the thing you're trying to achieve. I, I think I would at least like to hear also stories of things that didn't work, right? So maybe we have some examples of that, the way outsourcing or nearshoring didn't work. Yeah, there are a lot of examples uh, <laughs> where, yeah. Uh, um, so in 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 my my previous company, they had uh, um, when I joined there, they had just done a couple of outsourced projects, several attempts that that had all failed, and and this was in principle a, a person that had a very good idea, 
uh, didn't have the, 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 the software skills uh, to, to judge the process, got some money from investors and thought, okay, good idea with, with money and hiring an external team uh, will work. And, and yeah, that team was left way, on, way too much on its own without actually really understanding where it needed to go. Uh, the quality of the software, uh, that person couldn't really judge. So it was uh, when quite a bit of the money was spent and there still wasn't a product, mm. uh, the questions were asked, like, like where is this actually going? And, and uh, this went through several iterations. Um, and when I joined the company and I said, like, I, I want to use nearshoring, uh, I had to do a lot of internal sales to get that done because the experience were just, uh, just bad. Yeah. But but it is that underestimation that I that I spoke about earlier. Like it is easy to find somebody. I mean, if you're on LinkedIn, you probably get two three invites for people that that want to yep. work closer together or that uh, uh, um, yeah, want to learn from you. Let's learn. But they all just want to sell you an, an external development team. Uh, so it's easy to find people. It's easy for them to put a team together. And and uh, um, if you don't do your homework, then then yeah, you think you're making a lot of progress very quickly, but it's going to bite you later on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So and and I've seen a, a, a lot of these things where really large amounts of money were put into projects where people just thought like, okay, this is a cheap way to get rid of a problem, uh, throw money at the problem, uh, and and then it will go away. But but that's not how it works. Like like what you said in the introduction. It's not like making a toy. It, it, it still comes with all the complexities of developing a software project. Yeah. And, and what you're actually saying in, 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 in those things where I have it go wrong is let's try a waterfall model with, uh, with some people in a foreign country and, and, and then it will work. And, of course, that will work even worse than a waterfall model uh, uh, with, with a big local team. Yeah, in my experience, where it all sometimes goes wrong is, I think it goes in line with what Ariane is saying. If why having it, having it really clear the motivations why you're doing it, if you're just doing it purely to for financial reasons, and it's just not gonna gonna work. I mean, the I financial know. reasons. Well, purely if that's financial reasons, financial benefits should come as an outcome of whatever it is that you're gonna do. So the actually the reason is like you want to hire qualified people to solve a problem, sure. uh, and maybe maybe hire them at a lower lower rate. But if you're if you're not if you're just focused on oh I'm just gonna find something cost effective and without actually doing the homework and the the due diligence and figuring out if this is gonna actually deliver value, and it's gonna fail. And well, well yeah, I, I I agree and disagree with you. I I agree that you need to do your homework, but if your objective is purely save money. And then you do your homework properly. Then, then it can also work. But if it's just purely a financial decision, and and it's it's financial people making the decision to do this, and and choose the comp the partner that they work with, then then uh, yeah, I haven't seen that go right. But but I would say if the strategy of a company is to to uh, establish an, an, an a team abroad or to hire people from a from a third party abroad, I I still think it can work even if the driver is only a financial benefit. But you need to do that homework. I think the, I think I said I think I, we agree. I think I said exactly the same thing. So if you're just just doing it, because there is like uh, the, what was the one of the, the cases was Hertz, very famous case. They just like threw it uh, in, in order from to 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 save cost, save money, uh, and get bonuses out of it, and then it's just like uh, spectacularly completely failed all of that, and. Uh, 
you really, really, really need to put a lot of effort if you're gonna imagine imagine that you need to take um, integrate a team uh, in the next where you're working, but then in the next town, like a team of extra team of two, three people. Like, what is the effort gonna take to do that and get the team on board up to speed? And now imagine you have to do that across two thousand kilometers with a different culture, different different speaking people. So the effort, if you really wanna get the most value out of it and not just financial value but actually value in delivery that's like yeah you need to do the work uh, to put to put work in it yeah yeah so yeah my my personal experience with uh with far shoring in this case was was pretty horrible actually uh because like we were acquired by a company that had a team already there that were doing uh in in their case i think it was visual basic uh, but we were having a java product and uh you know, one of the um, the things that they wanted to do is have that team also work on the Java product. So there was a, a team, you know, all the way across the world in the Philippines. So with like a, I don't know, it's like a seven hour time difference, work together with us on a product that they don't know with a programming language and principles that they've never applied before. So we had to educate these people. Uh, and they, they were really nice. They were really nice guys, right, to work with. But yeah, in terms of the qualities, it, it just w wasn't there. And our managers were directly speaking to their managers. So, you know, these, these, these guys were just, yeah, they were having a really hard time getting, you know, getting to grasps with the product that we were making. And yeah, in the end, it was just a disaster. They promised stuff that they couldn't deliver. And yeah, it just didn't work out at all. Right. Uh, so yeah, my, my personal experience is definitely not, uh, not a good one. I think what you just said is kind of like key, right? They promised things they couldn't deliver. Mm -hmm. I, I fully agree with Arjen. As long as you bring people on board your team, right, and you treat them as people and they're part of the team and they're working on stuff, that can mm -hmm. work. If you're trying to say, well, I'm outsourcing this piece of functionality, just go build it for me, I think it's going to be tricky in any case, right? If you yeah. uh, nature it, outsource it, or... Uh, yeah, even if you develop it local. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there are so many... Uh, I mean, it's not that Agile became something that, that, that became successful in the software industry because mm -hmm. that, that all came from, like, writing huge specifications. Uh, and, and a lot of people will probably not even write those specifications uh, um, and then hoping for the best. It, it, it's, yeah, it's not going to work. I think uh, my, my coolest example of that, and I, I just remembered this, was... Uh, it was actually my first employer, so it was a long time ago. They still exist, and they still do the same things, I imagine. But um, it was a very huge um, company in the Netherlands. They wanted this big new project. And I still remember, as a junior developer in the Netherlands, I had to actually read all the use cases, right? You know all those freaking long template thingies, yeah. right? There's lots of boilerplate, and then you get to the gist of it, and you still don't understand, because you need to read all thousands of them. But then I had to estimate the use case, kind of like in how many days is this going to take? And then at some point you expect as a junior developer, well, I'm going to build this. No, we're going to package everything up, right? It's like 3,000 days and we just outsource it to India. This is going to work. It was kind of interesting what happened next. I think yeah. uh, they're still uh, dealing with lawsuits, maybe, but uh, it doesn't so it work. it didn't work out. No. <laughs> and, and, and there are too many people that... And, and I, can, I can imagine that, that if you have a good idea, you don't, you don't understand software uh, that well. Uh, you have some investors, uh, you, you think you're going to build this app or you're going to build this system in, in a cheap way. It, it, it's, it's all very, uh, um, yeah, it can be very exciting. And, and initially things, things look positive, but yeah, when things go off the track, it, it is very hard to get it on the track again. 
because you're burning through the money, uh, you're burning through time, you're not making your promises to investors, and before you know it, you, you, you have something on your hands that you can just not handle. And that's what I'm saying, like, like, like the, 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 the preparation, but also then uh, uh, yeah, the ongoing uh, maintenance of that relationship and monitoring what is happening. Uh, it, it is yeah. something that that requires a certain skill, and I think if you if you take nearshoring uh, uh, employees and 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 in principle make them part of your team, then then that whole monitoring thing becomes very easy because you have your daily stand up and everybody is there, and and that's what I I then personally see as as one of the uh, uh, advantages of nearshoring. You're then in the same time zone. So things like a uh, stand-up in the morning and and doing pair programming and uh, reviewing each other's code without having to wait for a long time for a review to happen is all easier if you're if you're close to the same time zone. Yeah. So so uh, let's define uh, so let's define it for the people that don't know, right? So we got nearshoring, which you say like yeah, it's it's close by, so it's relative in the same uh, time zone, so the communication becomes easier. Yep. Uh, and then you have, of course, like uh, offshoring or far-shoring. Which, which variants are there and what, what do each of these entail? Could you maybe, do you have a yeah, I, I, definition? I, I don't know whether there's a, there's a very tight definition for it, but, but okay. I would say nearshoring for me is, is stops on in, in, say, Poland, uh, 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 Ukraine, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, Croatia, uh, Macedonia. That, that, that's, yeah. that's where I would more or less uh, yeah, draw the line. Um, and if you go further east uh, uh, towards India, uh, Malaysia, the Philippines, China, mm -hmm. uh, I would consider that far shoring. Yeah. Okay. And to help me out then? Both outsourcing then, right? Sorry? Both are also just considered outsourcing, but outsourcing could also be like, I'm just going to hire a freelancer here in the Netherlands. Yeah, no, so, so outsourcing, I, I, if, if, you, if you talk about the definition, I would say outsourcing is, a, is, an, is an external company. So that could be a, a law firm or a company doing your administration in the Netherlands even. So that wouldn't yeah, be yeah. near or far shoring, but you would still outsource it to, to an external company. Um, you could establish your own call center or your own production facilities in China under your own name. Yep. That would be far-shoring, but it wouldn't be outsourcing because it right. would still be your company. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's an official definition, but how, that's how I how I use it. Yeah, it is well, now. makes sense, and uh, I, think... I think it's good to uh, to clear it up, right, for the listener. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it... I had a question for for Rolf that I've been thinking about because you said your experience yeah. was with uh, with the Philippines, right? And then you explained yeah. the the thought of people who were what is it basic developers they had to develop uh, later in uh, yeah in they were shoehorned basically into into our product yeah right so and that well went the way it went mm -hmm. do you reckon if that team was locally based in Netherlands in another in another place another town whatever and you had to work for them and integrate them would have would have they had a bigger chance of success I think so. I think if they, uh, if we were to uh, include each other in the stand-up and work relatively together, maybe doing some, uh, you know, pair programming or a mobbing even, because we did like at that time everyone was working as an individual, right? There was like zero collaboration going on between the developers as well. So I think that would have made a tremendous difference because uh, I went there for two weeks to actually pair with these guys. So. Uh, yeah, I think if, if if that was the standard way of working, it could have made it could have made a difference. Yeah. So, but why didn't you didn't you do that? 
like you could have still done done the pair programming, right? Uh, well, uh, like the way that these guys worked is that they started work at like two o'clock in the Philippines, which is like, I don't even know at what time that is in Europe, but um, I think it's seven o'clock or something for us in Europe in the morning. So basically by the time I got to work in the morning, they already had like half a day done. And back then, because I mean, we're talking like nine or 10 years ago, mm. uh, back then, I don't know, no one in the office was, was pair programming at that point. Yeah. I'm sure it existed, and but yeah, it wasn't as a widespread uh, concept. Yeah. yeah, and probably communication. I mean, it, if you look at at from ten years ago till now, with with video conference and 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 things, yeah, like okay, it existed ten years ago, but they were quite expensive systems that you that that yeah. were in dedicated rooms in buildings. Uh, um, I, I I think with the yeah. Uh, with the speed that we have now of the internet and the ease of, of getting clients to do calls, it, it has opened up a lot of, uh, of possibilities to work, uh, to work remotely. Um, but yeah, I, I think in that case, the, 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 the time difference is probably, uh, yeah, yeah uh, the, the biggest factor, uh, uh, there. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes that time factor works in your favor. Uh, I mean, you can in principle have a project that works the, uh, yeah, if, if you need things delivered, you, you can, in principle, uh, uh, give the tasks to a team in India, for example. And when you start work, a lot of the, 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 the work has already been done so that you can continue. But I think in most instances, it, it is a lot easier to work closer together and, and, and really work at the same time. So, um, but I've seen, I've seen projects where, where that time difference was a, was a benefit. But yeah, for the, for the for the things that I'm working on now, uh, it it yeah. it wouldn't be. So based on your experience, Ryan, I would assume you would uh, well, advise on people to uh, try or pursue the nearshoring or uh, offshoring um, approach, also for getting their services. Yeah, it's a tool. So it's a tool in the toolbox uh, that you, that you have available as as as, as a decision maker, and. Um, I mean, there, there is a lot of flexibility in it. Uh, there are definitely cost savings in it, but you need to do it with enough preparation. You, you need to find that partner where, where, where you think you can establish that relationship with. And, and then I would look for a partner that, that in principle has offices in the Netherlands, for example, local, so that, that there is still a local go-to person uh, that you can speak to. So, so the... Um, the nearshoring partner that we now use actually has the head office in Amsterdam, so uh, they have developers there as well. But but um, yeah, the developers that we now use are based in Croatia. Um, uh, so so I think that is very important. And then like like I said, take the time to to hire the right people, know what you want, and then find them like you would hire uh, 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 yeah full time employees. And if you don't have the skills to to uh, um, to, to decide whether people are good, uh, you cannot do the technical interviews yourself, get help in that area and, and, and don't make the mistake of not doing that homework because it's so easy not to do it. So, because I mean, like with anything, anybody can promise you uh, uh, the world, but yeah, uh, I mean, those people are there to make money as well. And, and if you don't push the project in the right direction, uh, um, and, and you don't get people motivated to work on your project, then it, for them it's just a job to write the hours and, and whether they work on the project or not, they don't really care. Uh, kind of and that's what you want to prevent. What kind of ties in uh, the, the follow-up questions I wanted to have? Do you 
think that company there are in, in which circumstances or conditions uh, you would advise companies not to pursue this um i i would say i would say don't put all your eggs in the in the in the near shoring far shoring basket so so i would say do this if you have your core skills in your own company in your own country and then you need to scale up because there is just more work to be done and and you just need more people to do that work and and then augment your team but but I would not think like I, I have this project or uh, um, I, I, I have uh, this product that I want to build. Uh, um, and then without any technical skills or with any local technical support, try to do this and, and, and hope that you can manage it because it, it is software. It remains complex. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah. if, if, if you have difficulty judging what, what developers and project managers are saying to you, then they can in principle tell you anything. And, and, uh, so that's why you need to have those lo skills local. That that's what I would do. But that works for me. But I'm not saying that's of course the only recipe to towards success. But definitely one that works. One of the things that you mentioned also in the beginning of the discussion, you said you you in the beginning when you endeavored on this um, path with working with uh, companies and partners abroad. First, you worked with fully outsourcing projects or pieces of work. To companies and then you went um, into a modus of integrating people into your team augmenting your team as you say I quite like that term one of the actual maybe one of the biggest benefits of that of doing what you uh, what you opted to do is the the knowledge which is probably the the, the most important assets remains with the people and they're within your team so if you are fully going to outsource uh, a piece of project, uh, the knowledge for maintenance of that or to, to build up on that is never is never yours. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that is a risk as well because I mean if you if something would not work out with a partner or uh, um, yeah something else would happen, why the team would would uh, move on? They they might leave the company or uh, they may elect to work on another project within that same company. Uh, um, then, then, yeah, if you don't have the skills in house, you, you, you run a risk. And, and yeah. that's what I want to prevent at any time is yeah. that, that even if tomorrow that relation would be severed, I, okay, we, we wouldn't be able to make our, make our deadlines, but at least we would keep the product as it stands, uh, uh, have it running and support our customers. Yes. Yeah, and that's interesting for you to mention because my, uh, my brother, for example, his company uh, Nearshore in Belarus, and he specifically mentions to me as one of the biggest cons of, of doing it uh, this way is that the commitment of, of the you know, external team, so to say, is, is on a different level of the people that are direct uh, uh, members of the company. Uh, so, yeah, if a deadline is coming up and, I don't know, people need to work overtime or, or whatever, like, yeah, the commitment for, for these people in his experience is on a, is on a lower level. Is it something you also experience? No, no, I, I would say absolutely not. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, maybe I've been very lucky, but, but I think I've put a lot of effort in, in, into, into selling this mission and, and, and making people aware of why we're doing what we're doing. Right. And uh, yeah, for the last couple of uh, weekends, we, we had to work overtime because we had to update uh, systems. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I, I don't see a difference at all. I mean, 
I was lucky that that both the people in Holland and the people abroad were very motivated to do this. Yeah. And and uh, uh, yeah, we spent a lot of overtime uh, doing it. But but uh, yeah, it, it was just nice. People understood why, and the result was very very good. So yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that makes it easier to do it because you're you're part of a winning team. Yeah. But but yeah, that, that, I mean, a part a team can only be winning if everybody uh, contributes to it. So yeah. I. Yeah, like I said, maybe I've been lucky, but I've, I've absolutely never had that experience that I felt like, okay, but I cannot expect less uh, or, or I, can, I, I need to expect less from, from people that are uh, coming from this other company. Absolutely right. not. Okay. I think and it also the, depends on your selection, right, of the partner company. Yeah, yeah, and, and of the individual uh, people. But, but like I said, maybe I've been, just been lucky there, but I can absolutely 100% say that that, that, that doesn't apply uh, to, to, to my experience there. I've actually had the op quite the opposite experience where people who are actually in the near shore location are tend sometimes to be more motivated than the people within the original team. Okay. And how is that so? Like why is the role reversal there, you think? Um well the the term that people used at the time were uh well people and developers in let's say in, in, in Netherlands, that was the case, the original company in the Netherlands, um it was well they're they're well too spoiled. So it's like five, oh, five thirty yeah. gone, and then yeah. uh, at least the team that I worked with, I was really proud of, of that team at the time. His copy was like, "Oh, we have things to do. We have like a go live. We have a demo tomorrow. Like we need to really wrap things up." So there was some some sense of yeah belonging and like things that need to need needed to be done. So it's not really. I've, I actually have never had that experience that you are mentioning, uh, Rolf. Uh, quite okay. what, very close to what Arjen is saying, and maybe even reversed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you guys ever uh, had to deal with cultural differences? Uh, Does it play a role, even? Even now, we're yeah, I, I, it, it can play a big role. Uh, um, especially, uh, I, I think with far shoring, it, it, it. it, it uh, I mean, it's it's something to be aware of. Uh, dealing with people in a, in a team in China is completely different than dealing with people in a team in India. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you if you do that right and you acknowledge it, um, and uh, you 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 treat the people on their strengths, then then I think a more diverse team. Uh, uh, actually, um, gets better results than than uh, uh, yeah a team from from people only from one country, and even now, like like I said, our, our current employees or uh, yeah the, the the people from the nearshoring partner uh, partner are from Croatia. You just see that that there there's not a big cultural difference, but still something to be aware of. But overall, the team I think gels better because of those cultural differences than it works against us. I mean, they are they. They are more talkative. They 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 talk more about private things than people in the Netherlands do, but that means the whole team opens up a bit more to talk about uh, uh, about their things, the things yeah. that you in in a yeah what I know from 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 a meeting with just Dutch developers would never talk about uh, uh, are just things that that are uh, that are discussed and and it brings the team closer together. I am so, getting so, curious about yeah. the topic now, but yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I am getting curious about what they're talking about, but. Let's, uh, leave no, no, no. So let, let, let's not let's not go. No, no. But it's it's it, it's just more about the uh, about brothers, sisters, uh, things things like that. Like like 
um, like like I bought my sister a car because this and this happened to her and uh, now. Yeah, uh, Things that probably, as as far as I know, like I said, it's the first Dutch company that I work for, and I worked there for half a year. But but what I what I know is that that these things would would normally not be discussed that openly, uh, uh, like like family and things like that. I should talk to us more then. But... Okay, yeah, maybe maybe it's my lack of. Uh, but uh, of well, us we are also six people out of which uh, two out of those of those six people are out of Netherlands. So okay, it's quite a melting pot. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was asking about the cultural differences, right? You already asked why I was uh, asking about that. Now, now what, I've, I've, what I've noticed is that in some cultures, it's not polite to say no. And right in Holland, we tend to be a bit direct. And that mm -hmm. took some time for me to learn, right? So if I ask a question, can you do this? Then I always get yes. But actually, you have to spot the, well, the subtle movements, basically, or, or, or subtle hints. That actually was a no. And that, to me, took a long time to figure out. Yeah, it led to a lot of frustration, at least on my end. Yeah, that, that, so so one of the, the my my experience was done mainly with a team in India, which is was part of the same company that I worked for. So uh, um, with people saying that things were going well, yeah, and and that you need to continue to ask because. They they don't want to admit defeat or or they see in principle asking for help already as a failure, yeah. and and uh, um, being aware of that and and keeping asking the questions and also creating an environment where where you make sure make clear that it's uh, that it's better to ask for help than get yeah stick your head down and 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 work for three weeks on the same thing, just because you don't want to uh, don't want to admit that you need help that. Uh, yeah, that you create that that environment in which you feel safe to do that, and and like like I said, once you get that, you you can get a lot of benefits out of the out of having different cultures in your team. But but you need to be aware of it that 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 some people need and uh, yeah, you need to work with in another way. Yeah, but, but overall, yeah. I, I mean, the more diversity in the team, uh, uh, um, I, I think the yeah, my experience is the better it works. Oh yeah, I fully agree. But right, it, it takes some time to get used to. <laughs> Sorry, Pansy. Uh, you've said yeah. you've said diversity quite a few times, and it's quite a hot topic uh, with the last uh, few years, I would say. So, how would you define it? What do you, I, what do you consider I, I, a diverse I mean, team? I, 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 at the moment, I, I would say it, it is uh, diversity in, in in culture, diversity in gender. Uh, um, I mean, I, I don't know if. Things like religion and 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 other things they they don't but but yeah the religion way I'm, I'm, I'm culture I'm, right sorry religion is tightly tied to culture yeah yeah and so so but but I think those things uh, like like if you have people yeah. with completely different cultural backgrounds working together and and uh, yeah your your uh, and I don't want to talk about ratios but at least there, there are women and men in the same team. Yeah, yeah. And then I've always worked. Yeah, I, those were the most successful teams, and I, I've tried to explain it to myself, like 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 why does that work? And it, it's probably people still all have the. the I mean, they, they use the same programming language. They know the, about patterns. They know about the technology, but still their their background then still allows them to look at the same problem or the solution in different ways. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's kicking an open door. But the better you understand the problem. Uh, the better you are able to make a solution that uh, that that works. So, I think these things things I don't know how, but they still contribute to to 
to in principle finding that uh, 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 yeah that optimal solution. Yeah. You you were talking uh, briefly um, just a few minutes ago about creating this environment that is uh, and this was for people in India I think you were talking about where it's it's okay for them to ask questions and it's okay to be in a position where in their perception they were failing well in your perception obviously not wouldn't wouldn't creating that sort of environment be, be beneficial everywhere not just india but like wherever you are wouldn't don't people in here in netherlands um, need that sort of environment yes and and i and i think that is very uh, uh, very important to build any successful team but uh, but, but what I meant to say there was that in, in India, uh, you would have to pay particular attention to that part. Because, yeah, there is a, there is a cultural yeah, right. background where, where there is just a, a hurdle that they need to go across to, to actually do this. They're, they're, they're not used to it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but, but, yeah, creating uh, an, an environment of trust where, I mean, that, that, that's how I see my job uh, most of the time as keeping all the all the bad things away from the team and creating an environment for them that they can fully work and concentrate on doing their job. Uh, um, yeah, that is my role. And, and, and creating this, uh, this trust also between team members is, is very important. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, couldn't very agree good. more. Uh, it's very nice that it, uh, that it's working out for you. I think you found a, a way to make it work for you and, uh, yeah, hopefully that the listener can pick something up from this and make it work for them as well. Uh, because, uh, yeah, I do believe that uh, that it is here to stay, right? The nearshoring, farshoring, it's, uh, it's been around for a while and it's not going anywhere. So might as well make the best out of it. So I'm pretty impressed with uh, your good um, experiences with it, at least. Uh, it's also good for me to hear the uh, the other side of the story as well, because, yeah, I sometimes only, you know, go off of my own experiences and hear some other guys say like, yeah, it's never going to work. It's not going to work. So, uh, yeah, this is giving me renewed hope, at least for the for the future. Yeah. I don't know, Sylvester, how, how about you? Because your initial experience wasn't a, a great one either. So did, did, uh, did oh. this episode uh, change your uh, perception about it? Uh, I think uh, Corona kind of changed my perception, right? I think, uh, well, like we're going to do fully remote, right? I think it could work. It doesn't really matter where people are as long as they fit mm -hmm. within your team. So that's why I said I fully agree with what yep. Ivan said. As long as you treat them as internal employees, it does not matter where they are. Yep. So I, I, I don't see that as negative. I do still have a problem with the typical... Uh, well, the failure stories we all heard, right? The, the typical outsourcing of here's the project, go make it, or treating yeah. them as the B team. I do have yeah. a problem with that. That's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure if this is nearshoring outsourcing or simply become kind of like a distributed company. So maybe that's a difference to me. Outsourcing a stack of specifications, say like, hey, build me this, is probably not going to work in any country. No, no I, I, not, not no. even in your own country. Exactly. No. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, so I don't know if anyone has any more questions or uh, maybe Arjen, you have a question for us or uh, I don't know, Panche, you have some more questions to ask? No? I'm good, thanks, uh, Rolf. Yeah. What is your uh, tip for the day then? For My the tip? Week? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a good one. I actually did not, uh, did not think about one. So I... do, you, do, do you have one maybe so I can, think, I can quickly think of one? Okay, I'll give you guys time to, to think. Uh, 
Yeah, I read a pretty good book. I think it was also suggested by one of our earlier guests, um, Michael Tooth. So, Big Five for Life. I sort of, I've been ranting mm-hmm. about it for the last uh, few days to everybody in our office. They're getting a bunch of ideas, so uh, that will be my tip. I'm waiting for my copy, man. Ah, good. Oh, you still <laughs> need to take a cold shower. I actually did. I actually took one. You did? Yeah, man, last night. Well, not, I don't know if it counts as a full cold shower, but uh, it was like 15 seconds of coldness, and then I said, like, yeah, okay, I cannot cannot deal with it. So, it But it's a start, right? It counts. In my book, it counts. Like, just yeah, try. nice. Awesome. All right, yeah, so my tip, ah, it's going to be a boring one, but the weather is awesome, man. I'm going to have, I'm going to have a walk, I think, after this one, and I encourage everyone to do the same. Oh, Sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great plan, Rolf. Kind of, like, chill out and... Uh... Enjoy the weekend. Yep. Oh, that, that doesn't make sense in this. Uh, All right. We're going to publish it next week. So well, are you have a, you have a tip uh, for the listener? Anyway. No, that, that, just repeating what I said earlier, uh, um, do your homework uh, when, when, you, when you go on this uh, venture and, and, and ask for help if you need it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I really like, uh, you know, how you say, like, uh, you know, treat them as your own team because, uh, yeah, I've heard people saying, like, yeah, we just open up a can of developers and, and fix the problem, right? Just throw money and people at it yeah. and it's going gonna, it's gonna to solve uh, uh, the problem. And, and that's just not how it works. So it's, uh, it's not a silver bullet. And like I said, uh, I really like uh, treating them as, as part of the team. And then I can definitely, uh, definitely see it being yeah. successful for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for uh, joining. Sylvester Pancha, thank you. And Aryan, very nice to have you uh, on the show. I've heard a lot about you uh, from, uh, from the colleagues, so it's nice to also uh, All to good meet stories, you. Uh, right? To finally meet. Thanks for having me. Only positive yes. stories. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank the listener, of course, as well. Thank you for uh, listening to this episode of ScoutCast. And uh, if you have any suggestions or remarks, then please uh, send us a message at info at uh, uh, podcast, sorry, podcast at fourscouts.nl. Or you can find us on Twitter at fourscouts. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening and see you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of ScoutCast, Roasting Marshmallows, with your host, Rolf Sir. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit 4scouts.nl and on Twitter at 4scouts. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on ScoutCast, Roasting Marshmallows.